You're listening to Consider This, episode 325, for May 16, 2022. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever, wherever, and whoever you are, here we are once again on the podcast Consider This. I'm Doug Payton, giving you my conservative commentary in a swift 10 minutes or less. The website is still considerthis.ctpodcasting.com. That's where you'll find all the ways to get in touch, as well as a transcript. That's CT as in court transcript. As you all probably know by now, a draft Supreme Court opinion was leaked, suggesting that Roe v. Wade could be overturned, bringing up the topics of Roe v. Wade and Supreme Court leaks to the forefront of the national stage. Let's get right to it. A leaked draft of a Supreme Court opinion is completely unprecedented. And the content of the one leaked on the evening of May 2nd is remarkable in its own right. It appears, according to the opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito, that the court is prepared to overturn Roe v. Wade because it was poorly decided. Well, that's something the lawyers from both sides of the aisle have agreed with over the years. Inventing a constitutional right to abortion out of whole cloth is what the court did, overriding the laws of every state and basically legislating from the bench. Some are suggesting that overturning Roe would be undemocratic and would politicize the court. Well, what they fail to realize is that Roe itself was undemocratic and itself was politicizing. The idea that the right to abortion was somehow actually in the Constitution is dishonest from the start. Even worse was the whole trimester setup and what was allowed at each step of the way. Was that in the Constitution? No, it was plain legislating, a power that the court should never have. We have a legislative branch of government for that. So that politicized the court. And there is nothing less democratic than a few justices writing rules for the entire nation, overriding the laws of every state. Overriding Roe restores democracy and gets the court out of the political realm. Removing the issue from edicts from on high and back to the people is what democracy is all about. Apparently, that's the last thing Democrats want to give the people a vote. Fine, then. Pass a law through Congress where something like this that lays out what certain procedures are allowed is supposed to be created. That, too, is the democratic way, where our representatives make the laws and not a majority of a panel of nine justices. But do you see what the Democrats want to do in order to get that passed? They want to use a misuse of the judicial branch of government and turn the court into what's been called a super legislature, rather than merely deciding cases based on the text of the Constitution they can additionally create laws out of thin air. This is an abuse of the process. But remember, live by the sword, die by the sword. Once you create a a, a law in this manner, later on when the court changes hands by the luck of whatever president gets to name the justices, you can easily see new laws or removal of old laws just as easily. And because these justices have a lifetime appointment, 
Those laws will be hard to change. And if that process sounds familiar, that's because it's very much like Congress, except the legislative branch represents the people much more accurately. In the meantime, an investigation has begun into the identity of the leaker. This is the first time in the 233-year history of the court that something like this has happened. Leaks coming from the other two branches of government have become common. So, who could have done this to the Supreme Court is a big question in D.C. right now. There are three categories of people who could have done this. One of the justices, one of their clerks, and one of those employees who work in the building, people like typesetters or copiers. It's also possible that friends or family of one of these people could have seen work that was brought home, though I kind of dismiss that, because you'd think that the air of secrecy that the court operates under wouldn't allow that sort of thing. If it was a justice, they should be impeached, regardless of who it is. If it was a clerk, they should be disbarred. If it was an employee, they should be fired and never be able to work in D.C. again. It's as simple as that. If there is no tangible punishment, then this is just the first of many leaks to come, and this will subject the court to the whims of public opinion. There is a proper place where public opinion is to be taken into consideration, and it should come as no surprise to you that I'm going to say it's Congress. But the vast majority of the public are not constitutional scholars, in spite of what your Facebook or Twitter feeds might suggest. What is or isn't constitutional should be left to those that our nation set aside for that job. If you want a law passed, like I said, then do so in the branch of government set aside for that. That's why prosecuting the leaker to the fullest extent of the law is so important. Now that a potential opinion of the court is out there, everyone's going to sound off. Not only that, but the reaction from those on the left has been frightening enough that Justice Alito has currently been shuffled off to an undisclosed location. We cannot allow leaks in the judiciary. Ever. A few final thoughts. I've mentioned that the process is important a few times. Each branch of government should stay in its lane. Only then do the checks and balances that are built into the system work properly. What I've noticed is that the left cares more about the outcome than the process. It doesn't matter whether something is in the Constitution or not, or whether the Supreme Court makes up laws that it doesn't have the authority to make. It only matters that they get their way. I believe the right cares more about the process, and to show that, I'll read the introduction to Alito's opinion after the main show is over in my customary 10 minutes or less. He covers the process problems with both Roe and Casey. Most people defending Roe or Casey need to read this first. There's a link in the show notes to the PDF of the entire draft opinion. Also, please note that no moral arguments have been made, and not a single Bible has been thumped. They exist, and I believe there is morality involved, but they are not needed in order to overturn Roe. And finally, based on a lot of the rhetoric coming from the left, it seems like they've rediscovered the definition of woman. There might be a bunch of newly minted biology degrees out there. 
So there you have it. That's my opinion, and I'd like to hear yours. Drop by the website, considerthis.ctpodcasting.com for all the ways to get in touch, including email, phone, and even a comment section attached to this episode. Thanks for listening as we continue to Consider This. Abortion presents a profound moral issue on which Americans hold sharply conflicting views. Some believe fervently that a human person comes into being at conception and that abortion ends an innocent life. Others feel just as strongly that any regulation of abortion invades a woman's right to control her own body and prevents women from achieving full equality. Still others in a third group think that abortion should be allowed under some, but not all, circumstances, and those within this group hold a variety of views about the particular restrictions that should be imposed. For the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address this issue in accordance with the views of its citizens. Then in 1973, this court decided Roe v. Wade, Even though the Constitution makes no mention of abortion, the court held that it confers a broad right to obtain one. It did not claim that American law or the common law had ever recognized such a right, and its survey of history ranged from the constitutionally irrelevant, for example its discussion of abortion in antiquity, to the plainly incorrect, for example its assertion that abortion was probably never a crime under the common law. After cataloging a wealth of other information having no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution, the opinion concluded with a numbered set of rules, much like those that might be found in a statute enacted by a legislature. Under this scheme, each trimester of pregnancy was regulated differently, but the most critical line was drawn at roughly the end of the second trimester, which, at the time, corresponded to the point at which a fetus was thought to achieve viability, that is, the ability to survive outside the womb. Although the court acknowledged that states had a legitimate interest in protecting potential life, it found that this interest could not justify any restriction on pre-viability abortions. The court did not explain the basis for this line, and even abortion supporters have found it hard to defend Roe's reasoning. One prominent constitutional scholar wrote that he would vote for a statute very much like the one the court ended up drafting if he were a legislator. But his assessment of Roe was memorable and brutal. Roe was not constitutional law at all and gave almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. At the time of Roe, 30 states still prohibited abortion at all stages. In the years prior to that decision, about a third of the states had liberalized their laws, but Roe abruptly ended that political process. It imposed the same highly restricted regime on the entire nation, and it effectively struck down the abortion laws of every single state. As Justice Byron White aptly put it in his dissent, the decision represented the exercise of raw judicial power, and it sparked a national controversy 
that has embittered our political culture for half a century. Eventually, in Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey, the court revisited Roe, but the members of the court split three ways. Two justices expressed no desire to change Roe in any way. Four others wanted to overrule the decision in its entirety, and the three remaining justices who jointly signed the controlling opinion took a third position. Their opinion did not endorse Roe's reasoning, and it even hinted that one or more of its authors might have reservations about whether the Constitution protected a right to abortion. But the opinion concluded that stare decisis, which calls for prior decisions to be followed in most instances, required adherence to what it called Roe's central holding, that a state may not constitutionally protect fetal life before viability, even if that holding was wrong. Anything less, the opinion claimed, would undermine respect for this court and the rule of law. Paradoxically, the judgment in Casey did a fair amount of overruling. Several important abortion decisions were overruled in toto, and Roe itself was overruled in part. Casey threw out Roe's trimester scheme and substituted a new rule of uncertain origin under which states were forbidden to adopt any regulation that imposed an undue burden on a woman's right to have an abortion. The decision provided no clear guidance about the difference between a due and an undue burden. But the three justices who authored the controlling opinion called the contending sides of a national controversy to end their national division by treating the court's decision as the final settlement of the question of the constitutional right to abortion. As has become increasingly apparent in the intervening years, Casey did not achieve that goal. Americans continue to hold passionate and widely divergent views on abortion, and state legislatures have acted accordingly. Some have recently enacted laws allowing abortion with few restrictions at all stages of pregnancy. Others have tightly restricted abortion beginning well before viability. And in this case, 26 states have expressly asked this court to overrule Roe and Casey and allow the states to regulate or prohibit pre-viability abortions. Before us now is one such law. The state of Mississippi asks us to uphold the constitutionality of a law that generally prohibits an abortion after the 15th week of pregnancy, several weeks before the point at which a fetus is now regarded as viable outside the womb. In defending this law, the state's primary argument is that we should reconsider and overrule Roe v. Casey and once again allow each state to regulate abortion as its citizens wish. On the other side, respondents and the Solicitor General ask us to reaffirm Roe and Casey, and they contend that the Mississippi law cannot stand if we do. Allowing Mississippi to prohibit abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, they argue, would be no different than overruling Roe and Casey entirely. They contend that no half measures are available and that we must either reaffirm or overrule Roe and Casey. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. 
That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution. But any such right must be deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. The right to abortion does not fall within this category. Until the latter part of the 20th century, such a right was entirely unknown in American law. Indeed, when the 14th Amendment was adopted, three-quarters of the states made abortion a crime at all stages of pregnancy. The abortion right is also critically different from any other right that this court has held to fall within the 14th Amendment's protection of liberty. Rose defenders characterized the abortion right as similar to the rights recognized in past decisions involving matters such as intimate sexual relations, contraception, and marriage. But abortion is fundamentally different, as both Roe and Casey acknowledged, because it destroys what those decisions called fetal life, and what the law now before us describes as an unborn human being. Stare decisis, the doctrine on which Casey's controlling opinion was based, does not compel unending adherence to Roe's abuse of judicial authority. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved like most important questions in our democracy, by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. That is what the Constitution and the rule of law demand.